Secure some price for Wednesday, February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day 2024. Coming Aww. to you. At me or the listener? Listeners, oh. viewers. Oh. Thank you for joining on YouTube. Thank you for listening. I decorated the place for those watching I on YouTube. I see that. Pink. Very nice touch. Coming to you from the Go Goat Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the Iconic Wall Center. Well, you're too late for Valentine's Day, but if you want to surprise your special someone with a staycation, call the wall. 604-331-1000. Ask for the scarcity price rate. Some blackout dates apply. Matt Sakaris alongside Blake Price. He's already spoken. Grady Sass hitting switches, conducting things with Madison Buckingham. And a big show planned for you all brought, all brought to you. By Applewood Auto Group. Yeah, when you come to the Wall Center, you're, you'll probably be parking your brand new car from Kia, Applewood Kia in Surrey, I would Which guess. Is, yeah. Because when you look at what the deal is right now on the Kia Nero EV and EV6, I can imagine you in it, folks. The 2024s get you a complimentary EV charger or a complimentary set of winter tires. Go check it out, Applewood Kia in Surrey. It's all good at Applewood. Poll question today. We are asking you, will the Canucks third line be too expensive to keep together next season. Yes or no, you can vote at Sakarson Price on Twitter and YouTube. We are doing this after the Vancouver Canucks beat the Chicago Blackhawks 4-2 at the United Center. And once again, it is that trio of Teddy Bluger, Dakota Joshua, and Connor Garland doing the damage. We talked about it last week. They have been doing so many things well. The production is bound to come, much like we said at the beginning of the season. They are doing so many things well. The production is bound to come. Well, sure enough, it does. Connor Garland with two goals, Dakota Joshua with a three-point night. He also gets into a fight with Mackenzie Entwistle, becomes the first Canuck with a Gordie Howe hat trick since Tanner Pearson on New Year's Day 2022. Uh, two assists for Philip Ronick in this game. Elias Lindholm gets back on the board with an assist, and Nils Hoaglander up to 17 goals now, playing alongside countryman Lindholm, and Elias Pettersson in just 10 minutes of 41 seconds of ice last night for Hoaglander. And he gets his 17th goal. So the Canucks keep up the winning, a 3-1-1 road trip. They are home Thursday to the Detroit Red Wings. Matter of fact, they st stayed the night in Chicago. This is, you know, old sleep doctor learnings, mm -hmm. right? The end of a long road trip, you're better off to stay than get up in the wee hours because you'll still be affected a couple of days Later, and I, I will say this, three games now against the Chicago Blackhawks and, and granted the last two without Connor Bedard, I have trouble watching the Chicago Blackhawks. They are the antidote for fun. They get one shot in the opening period. It comes in the last minute and they get a Bronx cheer from the faithful there at the United Center. I checked in with our friends in Chicago yesterday. Connor Bedard did actually sell them tickets. Like, their season's ticket numbers yeah, yeah, absolutely. are up. Their yeah. attendance is up. But that is not NHL hockey, what they are rolling out. Uh, there's just a pathos around that team without Bedard that reminds me of watching, like, a 2-14 and 14 CFL outfit. It's, like, below the entertainment standard that I set for myself over two and a half, three hours. Glad we're done with Chicago. Can't wait to see Bedard next year here in Vancouver. And never thought I'd say this because iconic franchise and a fantastic rivalry. And, of course, Jim Cornelison in the show at the United Center is usually pretty good. But 
Uh, good riddance to this season series with the Blackhawks. Yeah, there's there's not much there. They doubled them up in point in uh, shots really throughout the the course of the game, and even with that stat, even with the the shots very much in the Canucks' favor, it didn't necessarily. Uh, well, it did feel like the possession was in the Canucks' favor, but it didn't feel like it was a, an entertaining game where the Canucks were ready to pile up eight or nine goals either. Like they did just enough to make sure that the Canucks were, you know, needing to work for scoring chances, even though the Canucks owned the puck. Um, it was, um, yeah, it was just, it wasn't a super fun game. Um, that being said, there was a couple of nice goals. They made the most of it and they got the result. I wanted it to be, um, an emphatic win. And it was that despite it not showing up on the scoreboard, you know, it wasn't a blowout kind of wanted it to be a more blowouty kind of game. It was a blowout in terms of puck possession at the very least. Uh, it was sort of never in doubt and that's good because the, the Canucks needed to prove that to themselves, I think, um, you know, again, three, one and one, you'd think people are crazy to wonder about the Canucks play of late, but in the end, they, they didn't win a lot of games on the judges cards no. over the course of the, the road trip. So for them to do that and just look like the far superior team, uh, that that's where you want to, you want to see them at the end of this road trip. So. Uh, Connor Garland gets to 10 goals. Well, actually gets to 11. So the Canucks now with 10 double-digit scorers. Uh, I don't know about you. I, I did not ever feel like this game was in peril. No, it was never in doubt. It was, it was the non-blowout blowout is the best way to describe it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Canucks get up to uh, 10 double-digit scores. Quinn Hughes records point number 307 in his already illustrious NHL career. Does so in his 337th game. He ties Doug Lister, Lister for fifth all time in Canucks scoring by a defenseman. He is 18 points away from tying Matthias Oland for second all time. We've mentioned this stat before. I think it's fair to say that Quinn Hughes is going to be the second most prolific defenseman in Vancouver Canucks history by the end of this season. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which says more about the Canucks 50-year history with defensemen, I think, than it does about Quinn Hughes. But it also says something pretty great about the Canucks captain and the scoring pace he's on. Because here's the other thing, Blake Price. With JT Miller and Elias Pettersson not getting on the score sheet in Chicago, Hughes' is 66 points is three back of Petey and Miller. I mean, he's got a shot to lead them in scoring. At the end of the season, which would be something, uh, you know, he, he didn't he put one off the bar or no off the shoulder was off the shoulder there. Uh, nice, nice attempt at scoring last night as well. So he very well could have added to that total. But yeah, I mean, he he's the steadiest Eddie of the top point getters, right? Like he he doesn't go on as big a drought, I don't think, as the other guys in that top four: Besser, Miller, Pedersen included. So you know, can he? maintain and avoid those droughts and beat those two? Yeah, I think it is possible. Uh, Before we move on to uh, Phil Kessel here, Detroit game on Thursday. We'll talk a little bit more about it on tomorrow's show. Mm -hmm. But needless to say, desperate Detroit team and people wondering, are there going to be fireworks stemming from the Jake Wallman gritty celebration or the Nikita Zadorov hit on Lucas Raymond? 
thoughts there? I think there's a bigger chance for there to be Zadorov retribution than Wallman retribution. I honestly, the, except but, who wants to take a run at Big Nikita Zadorov? Like that's I, I hear what you're saying. Well, that's not that's not the way it would be. It would go down. Oh, you think they're going at somebody else on the? Case. You hit our best player. Yeah. Okay. Well, head up then, Quinn Hughes. Head up, Elias Pettersson tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. With the Detroit Red Wings in at Rogers Arena. Okay. Speaking of that balance scoring, here's Coach Tockett on. Yeah, the third line again: Bluger, Joshua. Garland, getting it done. It's great because some guys are getting some, if they're in some slumps, other lines can pick it up. And I think the Garland line, you know, if we have some guys that are not scoring goals, um, they can, you know, chip in. So, yeah, it's, it's just about when you're in an 82 game, you're gonna, uh, schedule, uh, schedule, you're going to have certain guys have slumps, certain lines, and, um, you know, you, you pick it up. And right now they're picking up for us. It's been just absolutely unbelievable. Um, you know, there's a lot of comparisons between the 2011 team and this team. Just to you know, to try to sort of reflect on how good does this team have to be to be a Stanley Cup finalist, for instance. And I'll say this: this third line is a lot better than the third line from 2011. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, it's a different era, so it's a, it's styled differently. But I actually think this third line would actually have worked back then too. Help me out. It was Manny. It was Higgins. And, and, and was I mean, it Raymond. It was well, Torres and Lapierre. Torres. And, and, I mean, and, there was yeah. it was a little bit fluid there, right? And then, of course, when Samuelson went down, it got even more fluid, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, this line has enough grit with Joshua, has enough just tenacity because of of Garland. Uh, honestly, I, I think this would be a third line that would span okay. the ages. On the poll question, sorry, I meant to get to the poll question before we got on to Detroit to, uh, and the talkit clip i voted yes that it is going to be too expensive to keep this group t- together mm-hmm. for next year bluger and joshua are the ufas you're already paying garland five million dollars you have to prioritize elias Pettersson. you have to prioritize philip ronick and frankly you have to prioritize another defenseman whether that's a re-signing of a coles a door off myers because mm-hmm. they're all ufa or a replacement because that's effectively a top four defenseman that you're looking at having to re-sign or replace for next season. I, s- I said this. Frankly, you may need two of those guys either re-signed or replaced. I said this at the halfway mark of the season. I'll be consistent here. The The scouting that went into selecting Joshua and right. Bluger just needs to go back to work again. Mm-hmm. That, that's if. Now, I think you can offer them a raise, a small raise, and, and hope upon well, hope. Cap, cap's going up. So, and but still, you've already spent all that. You have to hope upon all hopes that they recognize that this could be a fun place to play for the next couple of years if they can keep people together. And if they're okay for a few hundred k more than they made last year, then you're welcome to come back. But failing that, the pro scouting department goes back to work the same way they did in selecting these guys, and you find the new addition. And frankly, for me, if it's a choice, it's Dakota Joshua. He is a better offensive player. He is also a penalty killer. And he's got a profile of size and toughness, and we saw that Tuesday in Chicago, that they don't otherwise have with a forward. Problem is he's going to want term, and I'd be Uh, be fearful of term. Well, I'd give him term at the right number. But if it's a choice between the two of them, Bluger and Joshua, I'm going Dakota Joshua because here's the thing. I'd have no problem with Pia Suter playing that center spot next year. In fact, he was signed to play that center spot. 
this past offseason. And frankly, there was a fair bit of value on third-line centermen on last summer's market. I mean, just think of how long Suter waited for a deal. Mm-hmm. That position, that profile of player was not one that gobbled up big contract. Now, that could change with the cap going up because, as we know, these general managers, they're, these owners, you give them cap space, they're going to spend it and oftentimes foolishly. But if it is a choice, I would take Joshua over Bluger. But no, the entirety of the line, I don't think Open they market. are going to be able. Open market, to I together. think Joshua can get $3 million. Mm-hmm. Does he accept 1.7 over three years oh, of course by not. the Canucks? Not if he can get three, Blake. That's no, that's almost 50%. But is he going to get term at $3 million a year, too? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know either. But. You hope that he's tickled enough by what's happened here that he wants to stay there. And you you also have to be honest with yourself. you got to believe in yourself, Matt, if you're one of these players. But you also have to be honest with yourself. I'm having a career year with chemistry that is pretty tough to find. Like, it's that good. Am I going to perform in, in the next spot? Am I going to have the fun? Am I going to make more dollars? Yes. But is my career going to be what I want it to be in the next stop because I might not find what I've got going with these guys. Yeah, and that's fair, but I think more often than they not, chase when the you're money. talking about journeyman player like, yep. uh, you know, that. Yep. No, you're right. Yep. Um, got to look after number I, one. I think you're looking at more money um, being the uh, being the priority, being the motivation. Yeah. Let's get to today's big story brought to you by Mr. Lube. Phil Kessel is at Abbotsford Center. He is skating in a, well, kind of an audition, but we anticipate that he will be signed and join the Vancouver Canucks. Patrick Alvine, Canucks general manager, releasing a statement Tuesday after Kessel is spotted and photographed at YVR Canucks Twitter. You are still undefeated. Alvine, Phil has made his way to Vancouver and will be working out in Abbotsford this week. Let's hear from Coach Talkett, known as the Kessel Whisperer in Pittsburgh, on what he knows about the new guy. Yeah, I, I think Jim, uh, last couple weeks, talking to his agent, and um, you know, uh, he's going to go down there and, and skate for two, three days, and see uh, see how he is down there, and uh, reevaluate from there. Do you have a good relationship with him? Yeah, I've, over the years, yeah, I know Phil for quite. I haven't talked to him at all, but uh, I've known him for. I mean, I know Phil, especially in the Pittsburgh days. So plan is to skate for two or three days, and really, um, so long as Kessel doesn't look horrible, I suspect he'll be signed here from the Vancouver Canucks. Got no problem with this. In fact, he costs you nothing in terms of trade capital going the other way. And so long as it's a fully variable salary in the minors and it doesn't preclude them from adding further depth at the March 8th trade deadline, this is a win for the Canucks because it's pure addition. Yeah, you do it. Um, You you have to make sure... Of course, you've got the cap space to make that last move that you want to make. Um, I mean, I can't imagine they go down to 22 players on the roster and not have like one of Niels Oman or Phil DiGiuseppe up as well. Like, are they going to send one of those guys down now because Phil Kessel's here? Um, I think much of it will be determined over this next few days. Um I, I would think Kessel's at least a week away from. Yep. It's just so you he, may have an injury here. You're going to play several games. He's a specialist, as opposed to the other guys who you can sort of 
you some know, utility. You yeah. have have some more utility. So Although not having Di Giuseppe. You know, uh, well, he's played every yeah, line. No, fair. Um, you know, you've got to make sure you got guys in every spot, and you mm-hmm. get a little bit lean on the roster if you send one of those guys down. So it'll be interesting to see what their priorities are. But um, it's a no-brainer. Uh, cheap, cheap, cheap. That's our top story. Brought to you by Mister Lube. Pioneer of the no appointment oil change, warranty approved oil change, now providing tire service and sales also with no appointments. 16 locations in the lower mainland, one near you. Go to mrlube.com. I did find it a little odd that Talkin City hadn't talked to him. I um, I would have thought this would have been a conversation that involved the head coach and the head coach having a heart to heart with Kessel because he hasn't played since last spring in the Stanley Cup playoffs. He played in the Winnipeg series for Vegas, who went on to win the Stanley Cup. Very odd that you play 82 games and then just four in the Stanley Cup playoffs, but that's the way it was. And frankly, the way the Vegas uh, Golden Knights structured their forward lines last year. It might be semantics, though. Well, there was, I mean, there was no arguing with what they did. But it might be semantics about whether or not he spoke to him, Because... At the All-Star game, didn't that sound like a guy who had spoken to him? He said he's 100%. I 100% believe he's ready to go. Okay. Like how would you, so you how, think he maybe texted with him? Yeah. Or well, had, I mean, had a conversation so with the agents or whatever. You know, playing shape is something that has to be evaluated. Here. Yeah. No doubt. The other offshoot of this, is this going to preclude an Arshdeep Baines or Vasily Pudkolson recall? Yeah, for the regular season. I mean, it, uh, I think those are black aces for sure. Uh, if they can get into the second round and outlive the Abbey Canucks playoff uh, drive, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, you have to get pretty injured, I think, for yeah. for those guys to get a look now, and that's too bad because I think everybody thought our Steve Baines was going to get a look. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, who knows? I, I mean, it might be two weeks till Phil Kessel's ready to go. That's yeah. And there might be a, a game I said or two at least in there. at least a week, and yeah, you may have injuries. I mean, they they could give him a couple of games as an Abbotsford Canuck as well to mm-hmm. get his legs. I would think so. So, I would think conditioning and easing into the lineup are a couple of things that are going to happen here. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think it's guaranteed he's an Abbey Canuck, though. Do you think he actually plays for the Abbey Canucks? No, I don't think it's guaranteed. No. But I think it'd be wise. I think it'd be wise too. I mean, he hasn't played since what? Last April, May. Yeah, that's a long time. That's a long time. You know, he's thirty-six years old, and I don't think you'd be measuring his point production at, at that. You're just looking at his fitness at that point in an Abbey Canucks game. You know, I don't think there's any analysis if he goes pointless in two games as an Abbey Canuck. I don't think they're like, nah, let's not do this. I think they just want to make sure that he can get up and down. His last hockey game. April 24th against the Winnipeg Jets, uh, game four, round one. Ten months. So it'll be ten months. Minimum of ten months Mm -hmm. off of uh, professional ice. Still quiet on trade deadline, but getting a little more interesting. Our friend Frank Saravelli, we'll have Frank on the show on Friday, reports that Jacob Markstrom has agreed to waive his no-trade clause and that there was a deal in place. Had agreed to, anyway. Yes, with the New Jersey Devils. Then there's the Los Angeles Kings, who lose 7-0 to the Buffalo Sabres on Tuesday. 
All-star goaltender Cam Talbot. All-star goaltender, yeah. Since New Year's Eve, 0-7-3, a 3-9-3 goals against, an 8-78 save percentage, and poor Andre Kopitar becomes the first Selkie winner ever to go minus six in a hockey game. So the LA Kings and the New Jersey Devils on goaltending. David Pinota of the fourth period reporting that our old friend Dave Nonis, who is now an assistant general manager to Craig Conroy in Calgary, if you're not familiar, current with Dave, Mm -hmm. and their head head scout Steve Plough, were looking, were at the game with the Lightning and Bruins. So you wonder whether Tampa and Boston are in on any of the Calgary guys, right? Because that's, look, not not goaltending there. Tanev. But Tanev, Hannafin. Yep. You wonder if there's any there there. And then, of course, the UC Saros situation in Nashville, where their star goaltender has one more year remaining on his contract, but they have the great goaltending prospect in Askarov there, new general manager Barry Trotz, Nashville team that's kind of in the, well, it's in the wild card race, but does it have any upward mobility? Saros at 28 at $5 million for this year and next. Is that another domino that could fall, or are we talking about the Jake Allens of the world to try and shore up porous goaltending in either Los Angeles or New Jersey? Well, if you thought you were good and even have a chance this year, which LA, LA's got to think they're good enough on the skater side of things. I mean, but Saros is going to cost you a lot because of the term, because you get two runs with them. Like LA would have to be ready to pay up. Um, New Jersey, really young team, they might not be as impatient for this year and next. Maybe next year for sure. But do they want to pay the price then for that guy? Because, again, you got to pay that added price. I think they're going to, you know, they know this has been a banged-up season, so many injuries that I don't know if they've got the expectation of a deep run this year, but I think they would absolutely have it next year. But do you pay the the tax of getting Soros the year early? I, I I don't see it. I I doubt that would happen. But uh, so you think Soros is going to cost more than Markstrom? Because um, Markstrom has term left too, of course. Yeah, but it's too much term, and I think you're always afraid of the cliff with the age difference, right? Like when is Markstrom not going to be this Markstrom? Mm-hmm. Um, Markstrom with two more years after this one, he's an additional uh, million dollars, six total. He's 34, and Markstrom's a funny goalie. Mm-hmm. When he's good, he's great. When he's bad, he's not very good. Um, do you, are you? Do you have the patience to ride the roller coaster with Jacob Mark? First shot, first shift, first yeah. minute. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and look, uh, an interesting scoreboard last night because we were ready to swear off the Seattle Kraken, Blake, but then they get a victory on the second of a back-to-back. And good on them. They win 2-1 on the island against the Islanders, who are also scrapping in the Eastern Conference playoff race. And then they watch all the teams around them lose without even getting a point. Nashville loses in regulation. St. Louis loses in regulation to a stripped-down Leafs team without Morgan Riley, John Tavares, Mitch Marner. 
and, and the Kings yeah. lose as well. So it's really fun scoreboard watching these days, and particularly the two wild card races where L.A. and St. Louis continue to hold down the Western spots at 58 points and where the Eastern spots are held down by Toronto and Detroit with New Jersey on the outside looking in. Big loss by the Islanders last night, but I guess they pick up. I'm holding on hope for the Kraken. You know me. I, I, I really would love to see Canucks Kraken in the first round. I think it would do loads of good for both teams. I think both teams should want that in the first round. And even if the Kraken lose, I, I still think it's good for them to light, ignite the local rivalry. I agree. And that's the only place I you mean, can do it. Can't go wrong with Calgary. Um, that's a long-standing rivalry. We'd love to see it again in the playoffs. Of course, last time the Canucks were in a full-blown Stanley Cup playoffs with games at Rogers Arena. It was against Calgary in 2015. But I hear you on Seattle. That one needs a match. And, and the first round this year could be a match because here's the thing. Seattle's playoff tested. Yeah. Seattle won a round last year and damn near won a second. Yeah. Couldn't help but crack a smile when I saw the Chicken Little last night from the center of the universe after Morgan Riley's five-game suspension that head coach Sheldon Keefe would address it after the game Brad for living, the general manager would address it today, and as many joked, and then Prime Minister Trudeau will address the matter. But Treliving has canceled his press conference, the Pride of Penticton, BC, on the Pride of West Vancouver, BC. They're going to appeal Riley's suspension. It is a big number, but I gotta say, I think George Peros and the Department of Player Safety got this one right. And I want to go to John Rodenberg in Ottawa, who points out why this gets to a five-game suspension inciting Paros and the league explanation. Number one, it's an intentional act. Mm -hmm. We oftentimes debate these things and go, oh, how can you know his intent? Can you read his brain? Zadorov. This one I don't think was Zadorov clear was yeah. as day yeah. intentional. Yeah. Secondly, there is no mutual jousting here. This isn't a post-whistle scrum. This isn't something within the course of play. No. Third, it's retribution. It's hard to argue it isn't retribution. And then also, they cite that Morgan Riley had a opportunity to engage him in a, quote, different manner. And we've talked about this with the likes of John Shannon mm -hmm. and Murph Gafar and others this week. You had an ability to skate by and say, Hey, kid, we got something coming for you next time we play, whatever the case may yeah. be, or even just a shove. Yeah. You know, if you just shove them, you probably avoid a suspension. Yeah, there. I think so. Probably and get then, fined. And then, of course, he uses the stick as a weapon. So, really, this is a touch em all Joe. Well, but the, the biggest one, and it sort of precipitates all the other ones, that you did, it's after the final whistle. You know, if, if, he, if that's the 4-3 goal with eight minutes left in the third period, it's not five games. It's not five games. Game's still kind of underway, yeah. even if it's after the whistle. Yeah. It's after the game. The right. game is over. The minute you start to intentionally cross-check a guy in the face at the conclusion of a game, when he is most unsuspecting, mm -hmm. you're going to get slammed. Like, it's just, it's open-shut case. It really is. We really have an inverse Allen Iverson here. Not a practice. No. A game. Yeah.
game. Well, at end that of, point, it's end not of a game. At that point, it's not even a game. Not even practice. So we'll see if that appeal falls on kind ears and whether it's reduced. But as of right now, the Leafs looking at playing without their best defenseman for four more. Have you seen their their record though without Morgan Riley? Yeah. And this is not to slag Morgan Riley. He's a great defenseman. Mm-hmm. They've lost, I think, well, the, who they two games to... out of uh, 17, 18 without Morgan well, Riley. Look who they won with last night. Yeah. Some guy I didn't never heard of scored a hat trick. Yeah. What's Bob, his name again? Bobby McMahon. 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 Which is Come the on, most man. AHL. It's an ECHL Sorry. name. I mean, that's like a captain of an ECHL team. That's what he's turned into a legend in Utica. Oh, is there a. Oh, no, you're just using I'm just using that. I was going to say, have the Marlies moved to Utica? Anyways, um, yeah, big suspension there. You don't don't see a lot of five-gamers in the National Hockey League, but there you are. All right, let's get to today's menu. It is brought to you by Greta, and we invite you to join us February 22nd alongside our friends at Canucks Army for a watch party at Greta. It's a ticketed event. $10. $10. You can get the tickets at nationgear.ca. The doors open at 6 p.m. there at 70 West Cordova. And it's in support of Canucks Place Children's Hospice. We will give away some prizes. There will be some food and drink specials. Guaranteed good time. Nationgear.ca. $10 tickets February 22nd. Doors at 6 p.m. On the podcast side, we're going to have a welcome out here on where Phil Kessel should play with. And really, you should listen to the podcast if you're only watching on YouTube. Frank Corrado, and playing to touch on with Frank, I mean, he was teammates with Phil Kessel. He was teammates with Teddy Bluger. He is certainly tracking the exploits of this third line. We wonder whether this is the best third line in the league right now. We'll get to some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter, plus the line's getting busy in CFL Free agency. All right, time for our best bets, a presentation of Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book and casino. What do you got, Matthew? Tiger Woods is playing as a host of the Genesis Invitational Tournament at Los Angeles's Riviera. Warned uh, Jordan Spieth that he was going to hit into him this morning. Mm-hmm. Well, and Tiger mm-hmm. is hoping to play once a month. So that's here at the Genesis. That's next month at the Players. That's April at the Masters, May in the PGA, and on and on. If you like him to win, he's 126 to 1. Yeah, I, I don't like him to win. No. No. I'm going to take last year's runner up, Max Homa. There's no John Rahm at this tournament. He won last year, right? So Homa, 21 to 1. Homa at Homa. He's an LA boy. That's right. Uh, I don't think the Canucks are going to be high flying. I'm not saying they can't win versus the Red Wings. But first game back after the road trick. Trip. I think they're going to play a more conservative style. I bet you Rick Tockett implores them to play with structure. Last change gives them gives the coach a little extra something. So I'm going to take a rare under with the Canucks these days. It's six and a half, so it's a pretty safe under, and it pays out a two ten. You thinking Demko or DeSmith? I think it's Demko. Yeah, it's Demko. But I, I mean, under six and a half is two ten. That seems pretty nice. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm going. Detroit is high scoring though. Just they, say, they have all those double digits. But that scores, still allows you a four like two game. I mean, that's yeah. that's no, not that's bad. Fair. Sports interaction, your homegrown sportsbook and casino. 
Custom props speaking directly to a Vancouver sports fan, plus a best-in-class casino with thousands of games and live dealers. Sports interaction, bet local, must be 19 years of age, and please play responsibly. Frank Corrado coming up. Let's get into it. I don't know if it was malicious. Probably not. But I do know it was another WTF moment. My question to ownership would be, was it worth it? And the architect, and I use that term loosely, given there wasn't much architecture, more finger painting with this team. It's like the running of the bulls in Pamplona. You know someone is going to get hurt. That's what you all need to understand here. Right now. Hear me out. Phil Kessel with Elias Pettersson. Not right away, of course. He's first got to be signed, conditioned, eased back into the NHL lineup. But Rick Tockett and his staff have tried Ilya Mikheyev, Pia Suter, now Nils Hoaglander, granted, with better results. And they've not gotten the best out of Petey. So who's next man up? And why not Phil? Because otherwise, where does Kessel fit in this Canucks lineup? He's not a fourth-line profile. He's not a banger or a crasher, not a four-checker or a traditional checker. And while I have high hopes for the all-Swedish line of Pedersen, Hoaglander, and, Eli- and Elias Lindholm, if Hoggy isn't going to be trusted to log heavy minutes with his line mates, he played just 10 minutes and 41 seconds in Chicago. Then why not try Phil the Thrill? He's played 1,286 NHL games. He is eight points away from being the 99th player in league history to record 1,000 points. And look, it's quite possible that Kessel's fate with the Canucks mirrors his last season with Vegas. Played all 82 regular season games with the Golden Knights, then just four times in the playoffs. Come the Stanley Cup playoffs, he was behind glass, breaking case of the emergency. And if that's the case here in Vancouver, so be it. He cost them nothing to acquire. He should be cheap enough that he doesn't preclude the team from acquiring further depth by the March 8th deadline. So with 28 regular season games left, and of course it will be fewer once Kessel's ready to go, let's see Kessel and Petey together. Might kickstart that line's even strength scoring. And if Lindholm is the other player completing the trio, it should hold its own defensively. That's welcome out for today. Invite your feedback, feedback channels, email live at scarisonprice.com. You can text 778-402-9680. I think uh, having him as a as a, a substitution, a wild card for anybody, you know, like I don't know that unless you're injured, I don't know that there is an obvious spot for him, and that's no. still okay, and that's still okay. You can still sign him. He's your... Utility club, and he's not a utility club because you're not going to use him in all situations, but he is your wild card top yes. six player. And if anybody really struggles, and we've seen Suter dry up a little bit here recently, like if, if Phil Kessel's ready to go right now, this second, I might be tempted to to you know put Suter down on the fourth line and give Kessel his spot for a game or two, see what happens. Things like that. So is there a way in which I can see him beside Pedersen? Yep, there's a way. It's not where I would necessarily go to first. I think Suter, all eyes are on Suter right now because of how well Nils Hoaglander's playing right now. Joined now by TSN hockey analyst, former Vancouver Canuck and Pittsburgh Penguin, Mr. Frank Corrado. How we doing? 
Good. All good in here. If you hear any sirens or horns blasting or anything like that, I'm in New York and my hotel room is low to the ground here. So yeah, I'm getting a full dose of uh, of the Big Apple. Right good now. mood lighting too. You look like you're in like a, a nice uh, urban lounge. It's uh, it's good. Yeah. That's right. Well, yeah. you know what? Like the the stanchion comes on here, and he's got like his crazy backdrop, like made for podcasts. So we'll we'll set the mood a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Um, are you getting time for a show, a deli? Uh, you know, uh, what's what's the social plan in New York? I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. I don't know. It's like being a player. Sometimes after a game, you just can't sleep. And then I was up at 530. But I do like I have two things planned here. I want to grab a slice for mm-hmm. sure. Um, and then like, I don't know. I always grab a bagel in New York. Like nothing, right. nothing crazy. I'm just going to I'm going to get some steps in today. That's my plan after. This. There you go. Great walking city. And uh, nobody does the uh, red checkered board uh, Italian better than New York. City. Oh, yeah. So oh, I'm, I'm yeah. sure you'll find a place. Um Everyone I talk to talks about how Phil Kessel is beloved by his teammates. And I know his teammates also take great amusement with him. You played with Kessel in Pittsburgh. What is it about the guy that seems to light up all of his ex-teammates? I think he's just a very genuine guy. Like there's, there's nothing fake about him. Like he'll, he'll be very honest with you. And for better or for worse. Um, but, like, he just goes by everything he does very honestly. And, like, I, I can give you a couple good examples. Like, so I, I had been called up to Pittsburgh, and, and Phil and I had kind of struck up a little conversation talking about the guys in Toronto. Like, he knew them so well. He had spent so much time there. And we were down in Detroit. And the hotel you stay at in Detroit, there's a good steakhouse in there. And, you know, sometimes you don't want to venture too far off. And, Whatever. So I just went down to the bar. He was already eating dinner down there. So I just, you know, I was going to eat dinner at the bar. He goes, yeah, come sit with me. And he wanted to know how all his boys in Toronto were doing. How's JVR? How's Bo? How's this guy? How's that guy? You know, we were just, we were kind of like two guys who like hockey, who didn't really know each other very well, but had one thing in common, the Toronto connection. And just talking about that team and what that team entails and almost being like two fans kind of sitting around at a bar watching, you know, watching the game, kind of talking hockey. So I thought that was really cool. Um, and like even, you know, on the ice, like he he has a high standard for his game, uh, the game of people around him. And it's it, it kind of you can see it like some of the clips that he's had over the years with with Pittsburgh, where he's coming back to the bench and he's pissed off and he's looking at talk it and they're going back and forth and like. He he just he goes by everything very honestly and very genuine, and I think that's that's the reason why guys really are are drawn to his personality. It doesn't seem like there's an ego at all. Is, it, is there any? I mean, there's a confidence. I, like we've seen some intense sort of conversations on the bench with with talking other coaches too of just about gameplay and that sort of thing. So there's confidence, but is there? It doesn't seem like there's an ego there that he struts around like I'm I'm Phil Kessel. No, God, no, no. no the, the the furthest the furthest thing from that, like yeah. He'll, he'll just walk into the gym with like his flip-flops on and a coffee and look at the guys and uh, that's cool. Like, you know, like just some, something like that. Right. But like, speaking of the gym, like he's, you know, I, I never trained with him in the off season. I obviously got to see the in season stuff, but there's like legendary stories about him training in Toronto in the off season with like, you know, all the pro guys, whether it's Gary Roberts or all these guys that would train together and, 
he would, you know, he'd, he'd go on a little fishing trip and then come back and he would still be stronger and more explosive than all the guys that had been there, like grinding away. Like it, it was like guys would say like, no, this guy's a genetic freak. Like what, what he's able okay. to do and just, you know, hop into the gym, throw some weights on a sled or, or, you know, throw some weight on the bar and watch what this guy can do. Like it, it's, it was very impressive. Um, those are kind of like the little, you know, summertime uh, urban legends of, of Phil Kessel in the gym in Toronto. Well, you may have just answered this uh, with the genetic freak thing, but I was going to ask, like, he's, he's kind of a throwback. He's a different shape than your modern hockey player. He's got the different hairline, the different look, the different attitude. How does he get it done? Like, what is his genius on the ice? What has sustained him being a top line and scoring NHL player for so long? Well, I mean, he he does play a brand of hockey that would lend itself to longevity. Um, you know, like he's not he's not the first one running in there, crashing and banging. Um, you know, he, he's not really putting himself in the line of fire very often. But I will say this, with all that being said, he's played a long time in the NHL. He's 36 years old now. You would think some at some point you would pop a groin or your back would hurt, or you'd, you know, you'd tear something, or just sometimes maybe you just get caught with some shrapnel, and, and you miss a game or two. Like, you, you take a look at his hockey DB, all I see is 82s, I see a 70, a 56, and a 42. It's like, it, it's crazy that he was able to play that long and, and get through it so unscathed. So, like, he's obviously a very intelligent hockey player to, to, to be able to do that. Um, but it kind of goes back to that, what I was saying, like, there's, there's not too many guys that are, that are built the way he's built. And that, that's, it sounds weird to say, because he's not like cut, like a, like a Greek God. We, we, we know what Phil's all about, but it has a little bit to do with that. It also has a little bit to do with the style of game he plays. Um, it obviously lends itself to, to sticking around and, and being available more often than not. Didn't we all and have those... that guy in high school who didn't yes. work out at all that was yes. just freakishly strong and no one really knew why? And you wonder if, like, just inherent good core strength has mm-hmm. kept him as durable as well, you We about. should say 70 and 56, those were the pandemic-shortened seasons, right? right. Like exactly. This was an Ironman uh, at one point. Yeah. Um, he, he was a good skater, too, Uh you know, even at 36, even if a good skater loses a step, he's probably still at worst an average skater, right? I would think so. Like, yeah. and, and that goes back to the the explosiveness that yeah. that he that he has. But yeah, like Phil in his prime, down the wing, um, like a, a really fast skater, tough to handle one on one that way. And like, I would imagine, like he probably is a guy who can pick it up very quickly. Like, I, I don't, I, I don't think it would be a, a long adjustment period for him. Like, he did play. Played 82 regular season games last year. Guy still had 14 goals. So, mm-hmm. like, I don't think you just lose it that quick. Um, and, and Vegas was a very deep team. And, and the thing you need to remember about Vegas last year, especially, they had all their players lower in the lineup so perfectly slotted that they provided something that other teams couldn't counteract. You know, like, they had... Like your your guy like William Carrier lower in the lineup, Nicholas Wad. It's like those guys are really hard to play against. Like those guys provide something um, that Phil couldn't do, so he probably needed to play higher in the lineup. But those spots were taken come fl- playoff time. So like as much as 
you know, you could talk about, yeah, he wasn't really in the mix and with in Vegas and the playoffs, he played four games, but it, I think it also has something to do with the fact that Vegas was re- really well built and they had other competitive advantages lower in the lineup that they needed to utilize in order to win. And they did that. You've called talk at the Kessel whisperer with us before. Um, Rick's a hard on the puck, chip and chase, forecheck with ferocity type of guy. And as we've just described, that is not Phil yeah. Kessel's game. How did these two become so close? What is it about Kessel that uh Talkett takes a shine to? I'm not sh- like I'm not sure how it how it kind of originated. Like I I know just from being around there a little bit, um, you know, there were some bigger personalities on that team. And and what I mean by that is like people who are very competitive within the game of hockey who want to win and want to drive others to win. And I think when you have players like that, it's a good thing for sure, but it is, you do need to have some kind of buffer. And I think talk, it was that buffer, whether it was between him and Phil or Phil and Malkin. And, you know, like it, it was just, you needed that person that could kind of calm the waters. And I think Talkett was that guy. And Matt, to your point about, you know, the style of player that Talkett really likes, we see that in Vancouver and we've kind of seen that identity within this team. I'll also, you know, say that he also knows how to use players to their strengths and not try and make them something they're not. And, and, and there's a difference for me with, you know, the exact, you could use the example of Kuzmenko. Right. Like he, he probably saw something in Kuzmenko that he said, like, this kid hasn't really unlocked this yet. Like, I think there's something more there and I want to drag it out of him. And that's different than Phil is what he is. And we've known it for a long time. And in Pittsburgh, they used him in a spot where although his game wasn't, you know, crashing and banging and physical, you just used him in a way where you didn't have to ask that from him. And you got the most of him. And I think that's something important to keep in mind if he does end up playing for Vancouver. It's that Tockett knows what he is, and he's going to try and put him in a position to succeed. All right. What's your forecast for him here? Uh, where do you think he should play? How much should he play? And uh, he's eight points away from 1,000, which would make him the 99th player in league history. This is just there. enough games left where you'd think that's pretty reasonable to to expect, even if he doesn't get in for another week and a half. It's Okay. Like Vancouver for me has a lot of players really well slotted. So, I mean, ideally you would think he's going to play higher in the lineup because that's where you're going to get the most out of him. Let's just say the third line is untouchable right now. Like that, that third line is as good as any line in the NHL. So that's not going anywhere. Um, You know, you, you would think, okay, well, fourth line is that how you work him into the lineup but he's not a fourth line player and you know with the way the fourth line kind of looks right now di giuseppe's back you have mikhaev playing lower in the lineup like sam lafferty has been really good so i'm not exactly like convinced that he he needs to play lower and you know so you take a look at the second line jt miller besser like Suter. i mean how does he get in on that line because that line has to eat some matchups and so it, it is it is interesting to see where he plays. Like I, I would I would imagine he's gotta start lower, like a lower in the lineup. I I'm convinced that he has to start lower in the lineup and it's not gonna be the third line, so that leaves it as as the fourth line. But that does something to your your identity of your team. So 
I, I could be really wrong on this. Maybe he does, like, if he does end up playing, he goes higher in the lineup. But um, I, I think they've, they've got a few checkpoints to go before they, they kind of come to that decision. Like, I think he's got to go to Abbotsford. He's got to show that he's in shape or he's got to get in shape. He's got to play well down there. And, and, and then you'll, you'll kind of go from there and maybe you'll have injuries by that point. Like that's, I think that's also something to keep in mind with Kessel. It's like, you're almost hedging and saying, okay, it's not going to cost us an asset to bring him in. It's just going to cost us a contract spot. And, you know, if something happens in two weeks where someone goes down, we got a guy that we're comfortable with and, and we know we can put him in and we know exactly what he is. It didn't cost you anything other than a contract and, and some prorated money. So I, I kind of see it as a little more insurance rather than, okay, we got to get him in right away and see how he's going to help us, um, you know, immediately. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly what it is. Yep. Um, Bluger, Joshua, Garland. Best third line in the league? Best line ever, period. Be- the best line ever assembled <laughs> um, in, in the game of hockey. Yeah. Um, you, you know, okay, the best third line in the league, it was this debate was going on earlier in the season between the Dallas third line, which had Marchment, Duchesne, and Sagan, and a little bit with the the Winnipeg third line with Appleton, Niederreiter, and, and Lowry. Um, and then... Now that the Dallas third line is like being listed on paper as the second line, which it never was the third line anyways. Um, but as of right now, I can't think of a third line that's better than those guys. And quite honestly, they're playing and they're having more of a, a an immediate impact than a lot of like second and first lines on other teams. So credit to them. Um, but the other thing that really kind of stands out for them right now is throughout the course of a game, there's not a lot of shifts where they're on the ice and nothing is happening. Mm. It's like they, they get on the ice and quickly something's happening. Like there's something to the net or there's a rush chance or they got in on the four check and they caused the turnover and, and they're playing in the offensive zone. I don't know. It's, it, it's pretty, it, it's quite a compliment to them that they can get on the ice and they can make something happen pretty quickly. And, and, you know, there's, there's some lines that go through a game and you're like, Oh, like, where were they? Were they on the, I I haven't seen, maybe it was a little bit of like a neutral zone kind of choppy shift, not them. Like they, they win their shift a lot. And I know even like last night was an easier opponent in Chicago, but you still have to do it. And, and they did a great job of that. And um, I think that's the thing that, that stands out is just how soon after they get over the boards, they're making something happen. They're getting right to work. Well, the, the, the other thing is the third line generally, and these guys too, often will get you the dig the puck out of the corner, center to the open guy shoots and scores. You know, like that's generally the simplicity of a third-line role. The chemistry that these guys, we've talked about chemistry before, uh, it's unfathomable unfathomable to me what level of chemistry they have right now in that they're scoring Sedin-like goals. Like the the give-and-go goal, like how does each of them know – you know, that they're going to be ready for, for those sorts of passes. Neither one of those passes were the easiest passes to make. They no. make them. Uh, the, the little stick lift for Garland, knowing that his man's in the slot behind him on the Joshua go. Like, th- th- again, we expect the Sedins to process at that level, but a huge compliment to all three of these guys. They're processing, like, at a superstar level there. It's, it's unbelievable. It's, it, it, it really is. And it, it has something to do with the fact that, like, I think all of those three guys think the game the same way 
and they have a little bit of greasiness to them. They and, do. And they, they have, like, what I mean by that is, like, and, and you kind of alluded to it there. It's like a little stick lift, and, and there's there's a certain level of gamesmanship that all three of those guys have. And I think, like, Garland has always had that, and Talkit really wanted to see that out of Dakota Joshua this year. Like, remember early in the year, we're talking about Rick Talkit being really hard on that player, and is it necessary? And turns out it was necessary mm-hmm. because there was another level for him to get to, and he's obviously gotten to it now. Um but all three of those guys, they kind of like they have the same game plan. They have the same mentality to the way they want to play. Um, it's fast. It's direct. It's in your face. Like that Dakota Joshua, I would not want to play against that guy. Like he is he, he's a menace. Like he finishes every hit. He wins a lot of battles. He asserts himself in front of the net. Like and, and with the way you have to play defense now. You can't cross-check and box out the way you used to. So he's taking full advantage of that. Like, I don't know. All, all those guys kind of have the same thought process in, in the way they want to play the game. And it, it works really well. And they all kind of complement each other. There's no kind of, hey, we got to drag this guy along because, you know, he's he's just not quite with us. It's like they all they all, almost all push each other to do a little bit better. You played with Bluger in Pittsburgh. Did you see him turning into this kind of a player and being the center on what is potentially the best third line in the NHL? Well, so I, I got to play with him his his rookie year in the minors, and I was always impressed with his work ethic. Like, he was a kid who, like, when he signed his deal, you could tell he was never going to take the easy way out or take any kind of shortcut. Like, I remember – and, and I, I, you know, myself and some veteran guys, we would put in a good effort. We would shoot some pucks after practice and we would be, you know, done our cool down, done our shower, leaving the rink. And this guy would just be getting off the ice and, and his stick blade was, you know, barely had any tape left on it and covered in snow. And he had picked up all the all the pucks by himself. Like he really he really made a point early in his career uh, to be the hardest working player he possibly could be. So I, I give him a lot of credit in that regard. Um, he doesn't go, he doesn't come about it accidentally. Um, and I think, you know, when you see someone who's established that um, early in their career, and then they get to the NHL, they have a, a good um, understanding of what it takes to get there. And, and more importantly, what it takes to stay there. And he's not afraid to work. Like, and I think that's, that's really important. He's not afraid to say, it's been a hard week. We had back-to-back games. You know, we had a hard practice. We had a hard skate. It's pretty easy for someone to say, I'm just going to go home, take it easy today. And, you know, but he's the kind of guy where it's like, no, I'm actually going to put in another round of work because I know, like, this is going to benefit me. So, um, yeah, I always kind of saw Teddy being like a player lower in the lineup that was going to be a workhorse kind of guy who could make some plays, score some goals. Like, he scored some big overtime goals for us when he was a rookie. Um, and that kind of sticks out in my memory. But he always went about it. Um, with this work ethic that he wanted to be unmatched by his peers. So the question is, at the end of this season with Dakota Joshua and Ted Bluger needing contracts, and yet the Canucks, of course, needing to give a raise to Philip Ronick and Elias Pettersson and OEL money and all that, they're going to run out of dough pretty quick. Do they owe it to themselves to ensure that Joshua and Bluger go nowhere even though it's going to snooker them 
paint them into a corner that has already been painted into <laughs> at this point. I know. This is this is the thing that the Canucks have kind of gotten themselves into now that other good teams have have had to deal with. It's like you get these players on some value deals. They do really well for you, and you're a good team. Now they're more exposed. Now ev- the cat's out of the bag. Everyone wants these guys. You got to pay a premium or else someone else is going to do it. And I think from what we've seen around the league with these kind of situations, you're better off trying to acquire that version mm-hmm. of that player again. Yep. You know what I mean? Like yep. if you overpay, like if you overpay and you give those guys too much term, you're paying for what you you got the previous year. You need to try and find that version in this year's crop, whether it's a trade or probably a UFA, which is difficult. It's difficult. And we've seen a lot of teams just say, you know what? We don't want to leave it to chance. We, we know what this guy is. And guess what? You sign him for a lot. Like you give him a lot of years. You give a lot, give him a lot of money. You're like, oh, man, would love to get out from that contract. And, and time will tell. Like you don't know if that's the case. But we do have a larger sample size now in the NHL um, with the flat cap the way it's been, where teams that have kind of, for the most part, teams that have kind of walked away and said, hey, we're, we're just going to try and find the next version of you have been better suited. The one example that does come to mind is the Leafs not re-signing Zach Hyman. Like, I think that one hurts every time Hyman scores a goal in Edmonton or has a big night. But... In Toronto's defense, they got Michael Bunting and had him for two years at 950. And statistically, he outperformed what Hyman had done in Toronto the, the, the two previous years. So I'm not saying like Zach Hyman, that deal should have been done in Toronto. But like they went out and tried to find that version of him and they had success. So um, it's but, sad for the fans, right? Because the fans have established yeah. this emotional bond with these guys. Get, yeah. But but business is business, and I and I yeah. and I fully agree. And and you think about like a Jay Beagle, who the Benning regime brought in here. Jay Beagle sort of established himself as a good character role player, got some shine on him, but they gave him four years of decent money, and they rude every day of it. Well, I mean, how many times did you guys see that example with with the last regime? Where yeah. it was like we. We're going to pay these guys that are, you know, a little over the hill, but great guys. We're going to give them big money and give them term. It's like, why? You mm-hmm. could just find that guy again. Um, it is, it's a, it's tough decisions, especially when you got to explain them. Uh, but there, there's plenty of examples where teams have kind of, you know, found someone a little more on the cheap who can provide the same kind of service. Yeah. Uh, lastly, Frankie. Uh, I'm not sure if you caught Jake Wallman and the gritty celebration. I'm not sure if you caught Nikita Zadorov with a, a bad hit mm-hmm. to the head of Lucas Raymond. Uh, are we beyond the point of retribution, ugly incidents in the National Hockey League, particularly when one team is fighting for a playoff spot like Detroit is? Or would you anticipate there's some spiciness in Thursday's game? I, I I would think there's going to be some some spiciness. I did see like the the big celebration, the the big grand celebration. It it, it is a little bit much, but I also saw a video that um, he had pointed to some kids in the stands that were like doing the gritty or something, and and he you know so there's that angle to it. it, it I don't know. I mean, um, 
it was you kids know, day there at little caesar's yeah, arena so there were a yeah, lot of kids and you know yeah. maybe that might be a little talking to that might just be a little skate by we didn't appreciate that like you know don't do that kind of stuff. I don't know. I, I don't think it's, I don't think that one turns into the Morgan Riley cross check. Okay. I was just going to say, just so long as this game is the silver medalist this week on the code. Yeah. Because no one can compete. Bronze with Greg Bronze. Where were you? and with our like, boy, Morgan Riley, you, you, you buck him up. Okay. Cause that's yeah. a big time suspension. I and, like, uh, listen, I've heard, I've heard stories. Okay. Where were you when Canada, Soviet union, the 72 summit series, where were you when the OJ Simpson trial went down? Where were you Matt and Blake <laughs> when Morgan Riley cross-checked Ridley Gregg? Yeah. You will never forget where you were. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, quite, a, quite a moment, uh, more on the hockey panels tonight. I'm sure, uh, the oh. story's not dead. Yeah. Uh, I heard actually we're doing a 30 for 30 on it. So are we really? Yeah. Okay. Swing that there. documentary team into action. <laughs> I've heard there's some conspiracy. There might've been a second cross checker. Yeah. Uh, uh -huh. and the senators mocked it in their intermission yeah. last night. Have How a barber doing that. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Uh, Brilliant as always, Frank. Magnificent insights uh, here into uh, particularly some of your former teammates there and what's making them tick. Appreciate this. Until next week. All right, boys. Talk soon. Secure Sprites from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Ford in Port Hardy's got your favorite, the F-150, the best truck made on the planet. The 2023's financing starting from that magical number, 0% on select trims. Go give them a call. Applewood Ford in Port Hardy. It's all good. Time now for hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter. Dot com. I'm going to start us off. Mike Russo of The Athletic at Russo Hockey. Russian NHLers on a future without international play, quote, just doesn't seem fair. Over many weeks, The Athletic talked with Russian stars about the international ban here from Ovechkin, Malkin, Kaprizov, Kucherov, Sergachev, Veselevsky, and Svechnikov. And this was one of the prevailing theories behind Nikita Kucherov's miserable effort in the NHL skills competition that he was sore earlier in the day that a four nations tournament was announced minus Russia, which of course the Swedish and, you know, Finnish federations pushed very, very hard for the NHL could have included Russia. It's not a double IHF sanctioned event, but chose not to. Here's uh, Simon Schemberg, longtime director of communications for the double IHF. After world war two, two Germany was not allowed back to the Olympics until 1952. Seven years to the FIFA World Cup until 1954 and not back at the double IHF Worlds until 1953. And then as West Germany with the old Germany dismantled, it will take many years before Russia is back in sports with all the Putinists gone. And of course, number eight in Washington is known as one of the chief Putinists helped, uh, helped uh, found a uh, Team Putin movement. Over yeah. in Russia. Well, it, and it's, you know, it, it, at the same time, the NHL continues to employ all these players and mm -hmm. um, is more than happy to have them be employees, if you will. Which be, be, you should thank your lucky stars. Like, that's good enough, Russian 
players. Yeah. So they've drawn the line as, but we're not going to underscore, underline right. the fact that you are indeed Russian. Well, because it's a propaganda tool when Russia plays mm-hmm. in international sports, right? Like yep. That's what the yep. IOC and other international sports bodies are are grappling with. Uh, uh, on a purely hockey basis, yeah, would love to see Russia back in these tournaments because they're a terrific hockey-playing nation, and they make for fantastic games, particularly with the rivalry with Canada over the years. But... You know, right now with what's going on in the Ukraine and what's going on with Putin, no, I, I, I would feel icky about watching a Russian outfit at an international hockey tournament, much like I'll feel icky if they're athletes, and I understand without the flag, are competing in the Paris Olympics this summer. Yeah, still weird. At by AJ Perez News, the NHL, Canadian Hockey League, the three major junior hockey leagues under the CHL umbrella – WHL, QMJHL, and OHL, along with each member club, are a target of a federal antitrust lawsuit that alleges, quote, a systematic exploitation and abuse of major junior players. Uh, Reading from one of the um, pieces of this lawsuit, plaintiffs further allege that drafted players' hockey rights are owned by their team for at least four years and that standard player contracts and protected lists ensure that players cannot move teams or leagues unless they can be sold usually for cash. Having ensured that each player can only negotiate with his respective drafting club, plaintiffs allege that the defendants colluded to set player compensation at artificially depressed and non-competitive levels and to fix the compensation for players' forced assignment of their names, image, and likenesses to their clubs and leagues at zero. Um, there are some uh, uniquenesses to professional sport, yeah, and professional hockey in particular, versus the rest of the hey, the business and working world. Um, I'm not a lawyer, but what I've always understood and have been told is that unions do have the right to collectively bargain a draft and a salary scale for those drafted players that, needless to say, escalates over time with service, like yeah. how many unions work. Well, even like a, a skilled trade union, if you're fresh out of school, you might be the most gifted, whatever, welder, but you're, you're going to come in at stage one. Well, yeah. yeah, although in that world, you have your pick of what company you want to work for and where. That's true. Which is not the case not with the case here. No. athletes. Um, but again, I... I thought so long as that was collectively bargained, a, a draft and a salary scale like that was conformed. But that only deals with the one aspect of it's a it. Law. There's going to be some weaknesses here that that, yeah. that you they might be able to infiltrate. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, of course, in addition right. now to this NCAA CHL negotiation. There's a lot going oh, on with CHL. Blake again <clears throat> over the course of our show, the changes in quote unquote amateur athletics. Yeah. The changes uh, in, you know, feeder leagues have been immense and continue to shift in massive ways. And I did some further reading on the NCAA CHL negotiations, and it is the NCAA in their in their rules and regs consider the CHL professional hockey. Yeah, and that's why they haven't been allowed to participate. The New Jersey Devils and Philadelphia Flyers are playing an outdoor game. This weekend, did you know? No idea. Okay, zero. I thought I had. I, I might have to update you on this. <laughs> it's the latest in the Stadium Series game. It's the Navy Federal Credit Union Stadium ah, Series yeah, game. Yeah, that one. You know, 
which goes down one with of the, the best Duke's credit mayo years. bowl. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, so it's at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey. Thread at Howie Long Short, uh, New Jersey journalist covering the event. Grass is being laid down. Walkways being built. New Jersey is known for its parks. And the stadium series rink will take place inside an active park. Dog walkers and all. So they wanted to make this one a little different mm. and surround the rink with a park. The Garden State, right? New Jersey, including dog walkers. Hey, nice little touch. That was earlier in the week. Yesterday. Snow today in New Jersey presents a headache for the stadium series organizers. They had to tarp all the, quote, grass to preserve the look feel for Saturday night. Once the snow stops, they'll then have to remove it. Next tweet. The snow and its need for subsequent removal also added six figures worth of unexpected costs. Yeah. Oh, poor Josh Harris. Owner of the Devils and the NHL. This is running over budget because you wanted to make it look like a pretty park around the rink. Oh, well. Yeah, sometimes the aesthetics go awry, like mm-hmm. the one at BC Place. Well, I mean, let's just hope the ice holds up, unlike the games in California and Lake Tahoe. Yeah, there's always that. At Big Head Hockey, Connor McDavid tonight, last night, six assists, plus six. 63.64% in faceoffs on ice for seven goals at five versus five. 73.015v5 expected goals for percentage. Who wants to play this guy in round one? Do you see the assist on the Kane goal, the spinning? Yes, like- that was quite a play. Um, he also, uh, second six assist game this year. Chris Letang had one. Really? Yeah. It's the first time that's happened since 92-93. Yeah. Also, he's crested 600 assists for his career. Only three guys have done it faster, and it's like the who's who of hockey, Gretzky, Lemieux, or Yeah, like he's— like, I saw The Athletic listed him today as the front runner for the Hart Trophy. I, I have a little trouble with that. Not that he's not a candidate. Of course he is. Yeah. But my— um, I was more thinking along. I mean, look what Kucherov and and McKinnon are doing. Okay, but if he catches them, Matt. Okay, but he's got to catch them. He's got to like, catch them. Yeah, he's got to catch them. The I Kuch- mean, he's still thirteen back of Kucherov and ten back of McKinnon. And what I would argue is, you know, in Kucherov's case, he's. I mean, ninety points. It's not single handed. It never is, but. He is a massive reason why Tampa Bay is in a playoff spot and yeah. fighting for a playoff spot. Remember, they were missing their all-world goalie early in the season. And then, you know, McKinnon is a huge reason why Colorado is vying for a division title. But again, Miko Renton sixth in scoring, right? So, mm-hmm. like, that, that's one well, of the— but Blake—okay, so where's Drysettle then? And where's Hyman? Where's Nuge? Yeah, uh, Drysettle's 13th, 62 points. Tampa, the closest Tampa player is Braden Point at 24th. Mm-hmm. So in that regard. If we're going a judge most valuable to his team, though, uh, which is the definition of the award, and oftentimes people don't vote accordingly. They vote for the best player. What I've always said is there's a problem with the Hart Trophy definition. Yeah. 
it rewards guys who have lesser teammates and punishes guys with better teammates. Kucherov feasting on the power play. He's got 39 power play points. That is incredible. That's 13 more power play points than even Connor McDavid. Mm-hmm. So... Anyway, what a points race. And if McDavid can somehow author this comeback in the Art Ross race, oh, then, my God. Then, uh, then I think he's yeah. he's going to get it, particularly if Edmonton continues winning. Are you out or do you have uh, I think I'm out. Okay. I thought all that six talk you guys were going to bring up, Kopitar's minus six last night. Oh, I yeah. We did in the opening segment, yeah. so we're okay. Oh, did we now? Mm-hmm. Good, good. Thanks uh, for listening, Green. Uh, hmm. Lastly... Good symmetry, though. Karen Bear Singh at Karen Bertina. Today's Valentine's Day, or as married people call it, Wednesday. Yep. Did you get Mrs. Price anything? A guilty sort of purchase, but... Grady? Begrudgingly. Did we get Erica something nice? Still time here. As you know, I loathe this holiday, but... Mm-hmm. She, You're effectively married. So she it's, it's, she ascribes, yeah. so uh, I have no choice here. I don't have to match her enthusiasm, but I at least have to recognize it. That's that's it. Yeah. I did preempt preemptive strike. You know, you know my mo on Valentine's Day: preemptive strike on the thirteenth. And it was just a very small little box of chocolates. But then I actually did something this morning as well. Oh, you see. She uh, is a t- a Swifty. Mm-hmm. We uh, we own a very old car, which she drives around. It still has a CD player. It doesn't have a lot of connectivity, so she listens to CDs mm-hmm. in this car. I found a Taylor Swift CD yesterday, and I cannot remember the last time I bought a CD, but I found a Taylor Swift CD. Yesterday, shout out Zulu Records on West Fork. They have, they have. They had one. One. I loaded it into her car this morning, and I left a card saying, hey, you should go check out the car. Yeah. And when she turned it on, sure enough, the Taylor Swift CD came on, and it's very good. there was the CD case. I like giving you credit for much, but that's pretty good. Thank you. Yep. I'm taking bows. <laughs> and that's hashtags for today. Harrison Price from Wall Center Presentation Apple at Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. On to football. Mm-hmm. Where the British Columbia Lions have been busy. They have their backup quarterback, Jake Dolagala from the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. He's played in 15 CFL games over the last two seasons. 27 years old. How about 6'7, 242? If he doesn't work out a quarterback, line him up as edge rusher. (laughs) And you may remember September game here against the Lions at BC Place. He went 31 of 45 for 409 yards. Now, he threw two picks. They lost the game. He's got three 300-yard games under his belt. He had another 400-yard game against the Argos last year. So, uh, to me, he was the choice. I I liked him better than Cornelius. To be the backup quarterback, Dakota Prukop will be the third 
string quarterbacks. So the Lions now with a deep quarterback room. They also rated the Riders for defensive end Pete Robertson. This guy's been a player too. 21 sacks, six forced fumbles in 82 CFL games. He had nine sacks, five forced fumbles, and interception in 14 games with Saskatchewan in 2022. That's a hell of a year. And this effectively confirms that they're going to go American at defensive end. Now, David Menard, Daniel Joseph, Francis Beamy, they, they, they have three Canadians who maybe could hold down a defensive end spot, but I would suspect that uh, Sione Tuyama and Siddiqui coming back at defensive end amongst Americans, they've signed a bunch of guys at that position too. And then Canadian wide receiver Jake Hardy from the Montreal Alouettes signed he was an original Ottawa Red Black with Rick Campbell, two-time Grey Cup champion. He's mostly a special teamer, but he'll provide depth as they um, go ahead and start the extra Canadian receiver this year with Katoy and McInnes. Now they lose Quincy Moget, the DB slash linebacker. He's off to Toronto after a couple of seasons. And offensive tackle Philip Norman, you may remember he had a scary incident last year in training camp. He collapsed in a pre-practice walkthrough and had to be revived. He spent all of last year on IR, but they had been developing him over the last five seasons, and it looks like the Red Blacks will bear the fruits uh, if he becomes a player. Then there was this from Alana Kelly of Vancouver is Awesome. Three BC friends won the Super Bowl 50-50 at Allegiant Stadium. $250,000 Super Bowl raffle. Really? Scott and Brian Kraft, or Crafty, my apologies, Steve Butler, the Crafts from Langley, Butler from Abbotsford, they go down to the game. They spend $200 on 50-50 tickets. And apparently, even at the level of the Super Bowl in the NFL, they are not quite as technologically proficient at the 50-50 as we are. They actually bought little pieces of paper. Oh, really? With the numbers, yeah. Old school. Mm-hmm. They're waiting for the announcement of the winner. Don't hear one. Go back to the hotel. Check the numbers. They're winners. So they call the Raiders. They go to Team HQ. And uh, they're getting checks sent. Of course, in the U.S., taxed. This, this is different than Canada. Yeah, it's tax. It's taxed at thirty percent. Yeah, so you don't get much. So they're each taking home fifty-eight k. I'll take. But I mean, I'll take the fifty. If you're going to Super Bowl, that's an expensive week. That hopefully covered Super Bowl US expenses. K? Yeah, fifty-eight U.S. Yeah, so eighty. Hopefully, that covered Super Bowl expenses, gentlemen. And if not, wow, did we have a weekend? Yeah, well, that's good. Poll question results from Tuesday. Uh, we asked you, we'll do the, we'll handle the Kessel poll t- on tomorrow's show, but what position do the Canucks need to upgrade, upgrade most? Uh, there was a choice there between fourth line forward, third pair defense, top six or top four, or none. Winner is? Top six, top four. Correct. Percentage? 50. 72. Ooh. 13%, or sorry, 17% said the third pair defenseman. Uh, fourth line forward just got 5%, same as none. Hussein, one more forward to push McKayf down the lineup. East fan, Canucks fan, definitely top four. D, Myers, and Cole need to be playing limited minutes in the playoffs. Jeff, we're in trouble if we're counting on Myers to be 
one of our top four defensemen. That was a recurring theme in the comments. Zach, I think especially come playoffs, our lack of serious defensive depth could bite us, especially with potential injuries. Honestly, I'd love to still see us chase Tana for another top four D. Yeah, I think people are uh, – it's fun to fine-tune a contending team. And understand, it's not a it's not a criticism of what's happened. It's not house of negativity stuff. But trying to find that perfect bit of chemistry and the deep a team that's deep enough and poised to win, that that's the good stuff. It's not criticism. It's that's the fun stuff. Enjoy it, folks. Errors and omissions from Tuesday and beyond. You asked me what age Adam Big Hill was when he got his NFL crack with the New Orleans Saints. Yeah. Uh, 29. Yeah. He went down to New Orleans in 2017. He was 28 in training camp, and then as the season started, he turns he turned 29 in October of that year, so 28-29. So it's the same. Uh, as Matthew Betts, yeah. yes. Should have mentioned this when we had our kickoff discussion the other day and Monday. And yes, uh, the kickoff in and of itself is absolutely going to be looked at this offseason. But one of the reasons why there were so many touchbacks, they changed the rule that if you fair catch it or you take the touchback or it's through the end zone, you get the ball at the 25 now, not just the 20. So offense is viewed it as an advantage that couldn't be passed up for the most part, which is why you saw so few kicks return. It remains the play with the most injuries, according to the NFL. So it's a strike the balance there with the NFLPA and its health and safety concerns. And also now, of course, the, you know, is it an exciting play standard that Commissioner Goodell set out for the PAT when they changed that and moved it back several years ago. Um, Grady screwed up the poll. There was two instead of do or do instead of two. Correct. Okay. And then I'm not sure you caught this, Grady. Um, Blake Price, when discussing Chris Tanef with Earth Gaffar. Oh, boy. They continued to pine for him. It was said in like a Dr. Evil voice. And, did you do that intentionally, or no. did it just sort of slip out? No, well, it just came out. That's not an error or omission. No, but we were... just thought it was very odd. You slipped into character there. Hmm. We have been reviewing off-air here some of the... Well, Dr. Evil's monologue went viral again. His childhood monologue <laughs> the other day, because it was resembling Putin's new history of Europe, so... Um, Don't get me started. Luge lessons. It was very good. (laughs) Meat helmets and such. (laughs) Okay, Grady, you have anything else? Nada. That's it. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to us. Rinkwide Vancouver connects conversation. Follow on social. That's Twitter, Insta, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. Live on YouTube, 1130 Pacific every morning. And, of course, support those community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.